The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Sins from us as far as the east is from the west. So, Lord, we, uh, we are very thankful um, for that grace. Uh, Lord, there's not a single one of us deserving of that grace, and yet here we are. So, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. And, Lord, we ask that you would um, be here with us as we open your word. Give us understanding. And, Lord, whatever may distract us, whatever may pull our attention away from you in these moments, Lord, would you um, bind those from our minds now? Um, And may we be clearly focused uh, on hearing from you today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, we are starting a new series today called Childish, and I thought, who better to teach it than me? Um, and so we, uh, we just got back from being in Ohio and Pennsylvania. We, we kept hopping the, the line um, with my family this, this past week. Uh, Angela's grandmother, um, her father's mother, uh, passed away last week, and so we went up there for the, the funeral and, and all of that. And, um, and Brother John mentioned we were in an accident. Someone did uh, rear end us. Um, we were just happy that, that we could help this man. He um, wasn't aware that you're supposed to stop, and so we helped stop him with our van. And uh, But everyone's okay, um, and, and the Lord was very gracious and kind, and we're all okay. But um, I, I loved the time, this just the complete, just uninterrupted time with my children and with my wife just just completely 24 hours a day we were literally with them we were in a hotel room so literally they slept in the same room with us when they woke up we woke up and I loved that time that that complete uninterrupted time with my three kids and it got me thinking and I asked myself a question how do you how do you survive uninterrupted time with three kids because, like, what happens is two of them always get tangled up somehow, and then one of them is usually trying to do something that physics tells you you can't do, right? And so they're always trying to hurt one another, hurt themselves, and, and it really made me appreciate my wife more than ever. It made me appreciate my mom more than ever. And if you're a single parent in here, you need, we should give you purple hearts, right? You deserve the bronze star, the silver star. Let's invent some new stars, all right? Like, you deserve it. I don't know how you do it, right? Like, it's just sometimes... Sometimes it's just difficult. And there's some of you out there and, and you're, you're literally tomorrow going to go to a building where you're willingly on purpose locking yourself in a building full of kids all day right? On purpose. That's weird. But you're doing that, and you're doing that for a job, and that's awesome. And, and so as I was thinking about my kids this week, and, and just thinking about all the kids that are going back to school, um, the Lord brought me to a, a really um, familiar passage maybe to you, but a really important passage to all of us, where Jesus talks about his kids. And you say, his kids? Yeah, it's, it's us, all right? Matthew chapter 18. Someone turn to Matthew chapter 18. Someone, all of you. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under the the chairs. And if you don't have a Bible, take that with you. That's our gift to you. You touched it. We don't want it back. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Beginning in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There are many moments when I'm reading the scriptures, and hindsight's 2020, all right? But there are many moments where I'm reading the scriptures where I'm listening, like, like I see something that the disciples say to Jesus, or the disciples ask Jesus, and you just go, no, 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 don't say that, right? And so they say this to him. They say, verse 1, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Immediately we have a problem because the disciples have misunderstood what greatness is. Their understanding of greatness is not in the kingdom of heaven, in God's economy. Their understanding of greatness is what our world sees as greatness. And that's what they're asking Jesus about. Who is going to be the greatest, as we understand greatness, in the kingdom of heaven? And in our world, we measure greatness in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's, it's by accomplishment. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of Steve Jobs? Right? Okay, good. Some of you, some of you, hi, this is an iPhone. All right? But uh, so Steve Jobs accomplished a lot in his life. Okay? He headed up Apple, got booted out of his own company, then decided, hey, I'm going to start a new company. I'll call it Pixar, which is an amazing, incredible company. And then he gets back to Apple and literally changes the world with his designs and innovations. And Steve Jobs, we, when, when he died, immediately three movies went into production about his life. And the first week, his biography went on sale right after his death. It sold 379,000 copies in the first week. That's a book in like today's world where no one reads, all right? Like that's, that's incredible. Those are incredible things. And we celebrate Steve Jobs. Why? Because, well, he's great. Why? Because he accomplished a lot. So we see that and we go, man, that's that's greatness right there, right? And, and I mean, I'm sitting here using, I'm preaching off of something that he helped create, right? I'm, I'm using this as a little, little timer so you can go to your Sunday school and eat lunch, right? Because Steve Jobs created something like this. And so we celebrate him because of his accomplishments. Uh, another thing that we celebrate as greatness is, is people who are hardworking. This past week when we were in um, Pennsylvania, not Ohio, when we cross over to Pennsylvania, uh, which is really far away, by the way. And so um, if you're thinking about going up there, not worth it, really far. But anyway, we went to Pennsylvania and we got to stay on a farm. It was um, Angela's uh, uh, grandmother, her her mom's mother's farm and her uncle John's farm. And and we got to stay on that farm. And um, one day we went out to the barn where they have uh, cows, not like milk cows, but like, ah, I'm going to eat you cows, right? And so we went to go see those cows and like we got to see the fields and like everywhere there's just like corn and all kinds of stuff. And so um, I went I went back and, and I had I got to spend some time with Uncle John and, and as I'm, I'm sitting there talking to him, I just said, man, like tell me what being a farmer is like. And so he's telling me about his life, like growing up as a farmer and, and all this stuff. And I mean, it's for real. It's not like Farmville on Facebook. Like it's for real, all right? And like he wakes up like before the sun gets up, like he gets up and the sun's like, oh, okay, all right, let's go, right? And so he goes and he does like all this work and it's just so incredible that like I told him, I said, this is gonna sound really dumb, but listen, It blows my mind that you, like, make the ground feed you, right? Like, that's just, that's incredible. Like, I go to a a vending machine, and I'm like, I push a button, and I see a candy bar fall to its demise, and I'm like, I did that, right? But, like, you go out there, and it's dirt, and you're like, feed me dirt, and it does. Like, that's incredible, and I, I can't help but admire someone who works that hard, and and so is that greatness? Sometimes we measure greatness in, in status. Um, and, and a friend of mine, I, I've always, always, always wanted to have uh, two little letters in front of my name. I would love 
to have doctor. And, and here's why the Lord will never allow that to happen. Because I'm, I'm grossly prideful, right? Like it would just, it would be bad. It would end badly. Like every time you talk to me, Grant, Grant, I wouldn't answer. And then you'd say, doctor. Yes, that's me, right? Like I, it would, it just wouldn't be good. I have a friend of mine, he was a roommate in college and every year we get to, uh, we get to go to a conference together in, in Minneapolis and um, we were at this conference and we went to dinner and while we, this was last year, he's a doctor by now and while we, we went to dinner, they said, is there a name for the reservation? And I said, yes, Dr. Weeks. Uh, and so she like turns away, that's his name. And he says, Hey, that's not your name. That's my name. And I said, yeah, but she doesn't know that. Now be quiet nurse. Right? Like it was, I, there's something about that, right? When someone has a status like that's like, man, you're accomplished, right? You're a, you're a doctor. You're, you're a lawyer, maybe not lawyer, but anyway, like you are like, that's, that's incredible, right? There's accomplishment and status and also power. When I was a kid, there were basically like three jobs that I thought I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be a, a doctor or, or the president or a pastor, right? Now, like the two didn't work out for me, right? And the third one, it's, it's hit or miss sometimes, right? And so, but like why, why, when you ask kids, tons of kids say they want to be the president. Why? Because there's power. Who's more powerful than the president, right? Like when you think of that, you just think, man, there is stinking power. And regardless of how well a president's administration does, many, many people will remember them as great. Why? Because they were the president, right? They had all of that power. And so it's difficult not to admire people for these traits I've just named. It's difficult not to admire them, to think about Steve Jobs or, or Bill Gates or, or higher ranking people in, in your company that you work for, or, or even some celebrities or sports stars, or even some pastors, or even some, some leaders just to say, man, you've got so much power, man, you've accomplished so much. Like, man, that's greatness right there. It's hard not to measure people in that way. It's hard not to measure yourself by those things when, when you're surrounded by those things. Maybe you're in a really competitive field, like where you work, and, and so it's all about promotion and promotion and promotion. It, it's hard not to measure greatness by, did you, did you get a promotion this year? It's hard not to measure greatness by, did you get that, that pay bump or how many people answer to you, right? It's, it's hard not to measure yourself by those things when you're surrounded by those things. And the common thread here in earthly greatness is what? It's not altruism, it's egoism, right? It's about you. It's about your power. It's about what you can do. It's about you, 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 you. And Jesus says, that's, whoa, hang on. That's earthly greatness and that stuff doesn't last. My greatness is different. And so he redefines greatness for us. And he gives us a lot of uh, different examples throughout the scriptures. And you can look at, at his teachings and you'll see it over and over and over again. Jesus redefining greatness. But uh, probably one of my favorite examples comes from Matthew chapter 20. This is another moment where you just want to get in there and say, stop, stop, don't say that, right? But what happens is James and John's mom goes to Jesus. Awesome. Right? How do you feel about those disciples, right? Like you're hanging out with your buddies, you've been following Jesus, and then your mom shows up. Jesus, may I speak to you about my boys, right? And so she goes to Jesus and she says this, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. What did their mom want for them? 
greatness. I want my sons to be great. I don't want them to be forgotten. I don't want them to be small. I don't want them to be left out. They're going to be great. Help make my sons great. She wanted what? She wanted power. She wanted authority. She wanted status. Let them sit right next to you, ruling with you, ruling over everyone else, exercising their authority. But why did she ask that? Because Jesus, you'll be really glorified that way. No, why? It's for them. I want my boys taken care of. I want them to be great. I want them to experience greatness. And Jesus says, you know what? That's not for me to give. The fathers ordained those places. And, and you know what? They'll, they'll drink my cup as well. But that's not for me to give. And so, now listen. If you're one of the disciples, like you're following Jesus, and someone's mom comes up and says, hey, can you make my boys great? Forget these other guys. How do you think you're feeling? Yeah, they were a little upset too, right? And so they come to Jesus and they're like, what in the world is going on? And look at what Jesus says in verse 25. This is where he forever redefines greatness. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, authority and power over people don't make you great. Not in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be great, then you'll be last. Because this is greatness. And you know what? I'm Jesus the greatest And I came not to serve, uh, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is greatness in God's kingdom. This is greatness in God's economy. Now, um, I'd like to say, I'd like to say something, but I want to give a little disclaimer. I love the church. I love Jesus' bride. He loves his bride. I love Jesus. I love his bride. Right? I love it. I don't want to join in with anybody else trying to give her a black eye or trying to slander her or throw her under the bus. Jesus laid down his life for her. I love Jesus. I love his bride. I spent some time recently with some people far outside of the church. Some would openly call themselves enemies of his bride. And it wasn't until I spent time with them that that I caught a different perspective about the American church and about greatness. And I think where the American church has erred erroneously is in our understanding of greatness. We have had power in America. We have had authority. We have had status as the moral majority. We have had those things. And I think we have traded true greatness as Jesus defines it. As an American church, we've traded true greatness as serving others for this greatness, for power, for authority. And so here's what our world sees. And listen, again, this was spending time with people outside of his, outside of his church, looking at his bride. Here's what they saw of his bride. Instead of seeing us um, walk with other people through their life, they saw us march against other people. Instead of hearing us encourage people, they saw us complain. Instead of uh, hearing what we were for, they only heard what we were against. They feel us press our convictions on them as if they can do anything in their unregenerate state. But they feel us press our convictions on them, but they don't feel the love that's supposedly behind those convictions. So take heart, church. Because 
what God is doing now, what I believe God is doing now so graciously in our country is he's taking this idol of worldly greatness away from us. He's allowing us to be the minority again. He's, he's allowing us by his grace to be pressed He's allowing us by his grace to be persecuted. He's allowing us by his grace to be struck down. So that instead of clinging to this false greatness, to this idol, we'll cling to the one who will not allow us to be crushed, who will not allow us to be abandoned, and who will not allow us to be destroyed. God's refining his church. He's not giving his glory to another. He's saving it for his bride and he'll save her and he'll strike down the adulterers that have stolen her affection. A great picture of this is in Isaiah chapter 48. God's people are back in captivity again. They're unfaithful. They're stiff-necked. They're refusing again what God defines as greatness. They're looking what the world's looking at and here's what he says, Isaiah 48 verse four. Because I know that you're obstinate And your neck is as iron sinew, and your forehead brass. I declare them to you from of old before they came to pass. I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. You've heard, now you see all this, and will you not declare it? For this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. Skipping down to verse 9. For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I'll restrain it from you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So God has deferred his anger and will do great things for the glory of his name. Why? Because they're faithful? No. They've been stiff-necked. They've turned away from what he's called good to what the world calls good. But what does he say? He says, because of his glory, and I'm not going to give it to another, and I'm going to defer my anger, I'm not going to cut you off, and he'll refine his church, even if it's through the furnace of what? Affliction. And I believe that's what the Lord's doing to his church here in America now. Thank God for his grace. Thank God that he will not allow us to continue to run after idols. To run after greatness that will steal our joy and will crush us. But instead, he will pull those things away from us. He will, if he has to, put us through the furnace of affliction to purify his bride. Thank God for his grace. And God, help us, help us redefine greatness by your definition and not by what the world shows us as great. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. So, greatness in God's economy is quite different than it is in ours. So how do we achieve greatness in the kingdom of heaven? Well, let's keep looking in in, 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 uh, Matthew 18. I think here's the answer. Be childish. 
Be childish. Now, listen, when I say childish, there's a positive view of childish and there's a negative view. The positive view is childish is the same as childlike. So, for example, um, if you're like we've been shopping around for for furniture and things like this and for for kids furniture. And and we saw like we've looked at bedding for Max and and seen little beds. And and you know what? Some of them are childish. They're childlike. They're child appropriate. Right. They've got little Mickey Mouse on it. That's childish. That's childlike. That's child appropriate. Um, and so that's positive. It also can be negative when someone says something is childish. For example, like um, one time I was walking through the office and I happened to find a, a, a fake lizard. And I also happened to find fishing line. And so maybe I strung it up under the toilet lid in the women's room. And maybe I made Sharon Jones have a heart attack. I don't know. I can't be sure if that happened. But what I can be sure of is that I was called childish, right? So childish sometimes can be negative. That's your fault. You shouldn't leave those things together. But anyway, Jesus tells us to be more childlike, more childish. Look at verse 2 and 3. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So to become, to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to turn and become like children. What does that mean? Lately, if you've watched the news or not watched the news, you probably have just been bombarded with news about the royal baby. Can anyone else in here not care any less? I literally, if the baby came out with two heads and one spoke German, I probably still would not care. All right? Do you understand? I don't care. However, people in our culture, like with babies, they get birth announcements, right? We send out a postcard that says, hey, the baby was born, right? And we, we, uh, uh, we have crazy, extravagant birthday parties. And so like, and, and then once you, once you become a parent, like your, your Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff, it's no longer ever are you on it. It's just pictures of your kids. And so in our culture, they have some sort of status. But this, this child standing with Jesus, this right now has no status. There's no birth announcement. There was no special like like we went to uh, the funeral at the the Catholic Church had a, a cry room and it was wonderful, right? Like I almost converted. It was that good, uh, and so it was wonderful having the kids back there because they wanted the kids to be involved in worship, but at the same time they didn't want them to be well kids, and so like. Back then, no, 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 this kid didn't have a special place to go worship. Like, they weren't celebrated. They had no status. So what's the opposite of having no status? Having status, being able to do things for yourself, being accomplished, having a reputation and a meaningful name. Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, then you have to become like a child. You have to turn from your strength to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing that you can do to earn your way in. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have to not only turn from our strength like this child just coming to Jesus. We have to turn from your status to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's no one you can be to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm a third generation Christian. What does that even mean? I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a philanthropist. I'm good. Here's what Romans says. It says no one is good. So if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you want to come to Jesus, you come as a child. 
You come just as this kid. I'm not good enough. I, I haven't done anything that's going to deserve this, right? I, I, I'm completely relying on you. I need you to be good enough for me. I need you to, 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 do, uh, to do well for me. He said, become like children. And that's indeed what he's named us, children of God. You trade something so small and so finite for something so big and so infinite. Your strength one day, by the way, spoiler alert, will fail. Just went to a funeral. That happened, right? Your your works will be forgotten. Your name will be forgotten. And you say, really? Yes, I'm sorry. And you're like, well, I'm, I feel really encouraged. No, but listen, you can trade all those things that are so finite and so fleeting. You can trade those things for God's name. He literally puts his name on us. First John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Now our Father's name is what's on us and it will never fade. Our Father's strength is what is in us and it will never fail. Our Father's works are what we participate in and they will never fade away. So turn from your way of doing things and trust him completely like a child. This is where greatness starts. If we've done that, let's keep going in verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So humble yourself like a child to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what do we need? We need the humility of a child. Kids don't always seem too humble though, right? Uh, my son's almost three years old and um, his favorite song right now, if you were to ask him what it is, is the ABCs. Right, And I argue that's not really a song, but whatever, right? So he sings the ABCs over and over and over again. And when he finishes, he always finishes the same way, clapping for himself. And what he expects you to do is to do the same. So whenever he finishes singing it, we go, yay, right? And we clap. Well, we were in the car in Pennsylvania or Ohio, somewhere up north. And we were driving, and he was on his ninth or tenth rendition of the ABCs, which are interesting because they change every time. So he's doing his rendition of ABCs. He gets to the end. Now I know my ABCs. Next time, won't you sing with me? Well, we don't clap. We don't say yay. We don't do anything because, well, I've heard it a lot. All right. And I don't need the remix. And so from the back seat, we hear this. Say yay, mommy. Say yay, mommy. Say yay, mommy, right? And so he wanted us to celebrate how good he was at changing the ABCs over and over again. They don't appear to be that humble, but they live very humble lives. Think about it like this. They're completely dependent pretty much on me, my kids are, and on my wife for everything. That's how kids are. They're completely dependent. So like number one, they're completely dependent uh, for guidance. There's a humility in children in that they trust their parents to explain things to them and tell them what they should do. Max right now is in the why stage. Why? Because I said, well, why'd you say? Because well, I, I did. Well, why? Why? Well, why? 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 Right? The other day, uh, Max wanted uh, some money for his piggy bank, as he normally does. And so he asked me for money, and I reached my pocket, and I said, son, I don't have any. And he said, why? And I said, well, I, I, I just don't. And he said, well, why? And I said, because uh, mommy took it all. And he said, why? And I said, because I signed a marriage license, right? So, like, he's always asking why? And, but seriously, when, when I was a kid, I looked at my parents to give me guidance on how I should handle everything. 
I remember very vividly dealing with death for the first time. And it was my father's mother when she passed away. I remember everything about that week very, very vividly. And I watched my parents and I watched how they handled it. And I asked them, how should I handle it? How should I think about things, right? I watched them with school pressures. Who did I come home and talk to? My mom, right? I needed her guidance. In the same way as an adult, when I was buying a house, who did me and who did my wife and I talk to? We talked to our parents. We'd never done that before. How do you do this? When we had our first kid, who do you think we asked questions to? I called my mom in the first week that, that our son was born. And I said, mom, in his diaper, it's tar. I didn't put it in here. How did it get here? Is this okay, right? And so like we looked to them for guidance. As a child, we looked at our parents for guidance and wisdom. And as a child, listen, there's no higher authority on anything than our parents. How many arguments did you get in when you were a kid with your other kids? Well, my dad said, right? That's all you, that's all you had to say. Well, cite your sources. My dad, right? Like there's no higher authority. And we're called to be childlike in our dependence on God's wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Well, what does that mean practically speaking? I think it means this. See the world through his eyes. Get his perspective on things. How? How do we do that? That's nice and abstract. How do we do that? Constantly seek wisdom. Constantly seek wisdom. Through prayer. Listen to this promise, James 1.5. If this doesn't get you excited, well, check your pulse. James 1.5, listen. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody in here feel like, man, I just need some wisdom. I need some guidance in this area of my life. Listen, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What? It says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously. He'll give it to you. So constantly seek the Lord for his wisdom. Constantly seek the Lord for his wisdom through his word. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? That's our sustenance, right? That, that wisdom is how we live. So eat, eat, and eat, right? The bread of life, eat it, eat it, and eat it. Just eat and just read the word of God. Study the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Seek his wisdom. And and, and a word of caution, if I can, don't live so fast that you don't consider the Lord. My days move like super fast. I'm sure yours do too. And you know what? A lot of times I I can lose the Lord, you know? So how do we slow down? I wish the Bible would give us a tip. Oh, wait, it does. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. I had a moment where my day went really fast just recently. So we, we came off the interstate and we were slowing down. Piper Grace was just having a flip out, our daughter. just She didn't want food. She didn't want something to drink. She didn't want just the, I, I was pretty sure in another couple of seconds her head was going to spin around. Like she was just having a freak out. So Angela moves to the back seat with her and we pull off the interstate. We're about to turn into the gas station and and when we do of course the guy behind me was like I don't need to stop and he hit us right and so we we get our kids out and it was raining too which was just awesome and so we're sitting there 
And like, I honestly, I, I've never been in an accident. I, I never have. And so I was like, I don't even, I don't know how this works, right? So like the, the cop shows up and I'm like, arrest everybody, right? Like, I don't know how it works. And um, so we, uh, by, the, by the Lord's providence, there's, a, there's literally a hotel right there. And, and it was kind of the end of the day. So we decided to, to take our, our, our family over there. So we give them in a hotel room and, and I'm like on the phone now with, with budget rent-a-car, which if, if you'd like to rent a car, like don't. So anyway, like I was on the phone with them just for hours trying to get help. And basically it ended, our conversation ended with this. Sorry, we can't help you. Try in the morning. And so just after hours and hours of that, like I was just super frustrated and upset. We lost the day. Uh, like we, I, I wanted to be there by now. We've lost the day. We're in this hotel room. I don't know what's going to be like sleeping in the same room with all these kids. And, and I'm just, I'm just freaking out. And you know what? When I stopped, and I was like, okay, give thanks in this circumstance. I remembered God was so good. All my kids are okay. My wife's okay. It's a rental car. I don't care. It's not my car, right? We're in a hotel. Like, we are okay. God is so gracious. So slow down. Give thanks in all circumstances. The second way uh, that we're childlike is through provision. The, the humility of a child is incredibly evident in their need for someone to provide for them. My kids have no concept of money. Max walked up to me the other day with a quarter and he said, I have a million dollars. And I was like, oh, good luck with that, right? He has no concept of money. And even if he did, he wouldn't know what to do with it. We were at a store recently and, and he wanted a toy and he brought it up to me. He said, he said, buy me this. And I said, did you bring your money? And he said, no, you have money. Buy me this, right? Like... He's completely reliant upon me providing for them. And you think about that, like, I remember when I was a kid, I would, like, we'd go to a store and I'd have my allowance and, and I'd pick something out. And I had no idea how much anything cost, but I'd pick something out and then I'd pull out $2 and hand it to my mom and, and very proudly would pay for it. And of course it wasn't enough. Of course my mom had to pay for the rest. Of course my mom had to provide for me. But listen, they can, they can worry Oh my gosh, can they worry and get upset? Like, Daddy, you gonna buy me this, right? Like, Daddy, I need this. I need it, right? And they can worry and get upset because why? They're absolutely reliant upon my provision. Daddy ain't buying, they ain't getting, right? Like, they're completely reliant upon that. Do they have anything to worry about? Will Daddy really not get them what they need? Of course I'll give them what they need. Of course they have nothing to worry about, right? I'll do whatever I have to to provide my children with what they need. And when it becomes a provision, we need to be childlike in our humility before God. We talked about this a lot last week. So I just want to just give you a quick recap, quick three points here. We need to submit your anxieties daily to him. Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Every day we need to submit our anxieties to him. So you know what, Lord, it's another day. Your mercies are new this morning. Here you go. Here's what I'm dealing with. And lay them down. And you say, well, do it. what if I have to do it later? Then do it later. Do it again and do it again and do it again. But daily submitting our anxieties. And the second thing, remind yourself of his care. In Matthew 6, he used the examples of birds of the air. The Lord feeds them even though they don't store for themselves uh, food. And, and the lilies of the field, the Lord clothes them more beautifully than anyone has ever been clothed before. And he said, aren't you way more important than birds? Aren't you way more important than, than lilies, right? Than flowers of the field which are here today and gone 
tomorrow. So remind yourself of God's care. When you see a bird fly, remind yourself that as God has kept that bird alive and cares for the well-being of that bird, he cares much more for me. When you see flowers adorned so beautifully, remember the Lord wants to adorn you. And lastly, always look through your gifts to the giver. Don't worship the gift. Don't get distracted and begin to trust. Put your trust in the gift rather than the giver. Always give the Lord credit. Thirdly and lastly, value. The humility of a child is clearly displayed in their identity. They are who you say they are, good or bad. When I was a kid, my my parents had me believe that I would be the next Michael Jordan. Although it was a cruel joke, I did believe it, right? I was who they said I was, right? In the same way with our kids, who they are, their identity is completely in my hands and in my wife's hands. If I show them they're valuable, then they're valuable. If I show them that they aren't, then they aren't, right? Their identity is completely wrapped up there. And we have many opportunities to claim an identity or have an identity thrown on us in this world. To your career, maybe you're the go-getter in your career. Maybe you're the overachiever in your family. Maybe you're the leader or maybe you're the annoying one or maybe you're both right here. In education, Maybe, maybe it's, you're a professional now because your education, you have a master's, whatever. In life, maybe you're the screw-up. Maybe you're the impulsive one. Maybe you're happy, sad, dopey, or doc. Wait, what? But listen, as a child, we must have a humility on our value when it comes to God. We, you are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, he says, you're clean and you're forgiven. But I would, you're clean. You are who God says you are. In 1 John 3, 1, he says, you are a child. But I've been an enemy of God. Absolutely you have. But now you are a child. In John three sixteen, we see that we are loved. In John 10, 28, we see that we are forever safe. In John 15, 15, we see that we are a friend of God. And you might say, I don't feel like that. I don't feel like that all the time. How do I hold on to that identity? How do I hold on to that humility, finding my value in what God says about me? You battle your feelings with truth because feelings are fickle and truth is not. Feelings are fickle and truth is not. Read his word and regularly read what he says about you. Not only that, but be around people who affirm that truth about you. Be around other believers, other brothers and sisters who affirm that you are a member of God's family, who affirm that you are valuable to him, who affirm that you are indeed a friend of God and dearly loved by God, right? You are who God says you are. These are just a few examples of um, childish humility. There are many, many more. Um, But Jesus' main point here is this. Be more childish. Live humbly before God. I, uh, I love this age. I'm going to close with this. My, my son is about to turn three, and I love this age. He's starting to really be assertive and starting to try to do things for himself. The other day, we said we were going to go to Target, one of his favorite stores. And, and so I said, we're going to go to Target. And so he tried to put his shoes on. And so he came to me with a shoe half on that he created some flip-flop out of, and he was carrying the other one. He said, let's go. And I was like, Max, that's not your shoes aren't on. Yep, they are. Let's go, Right. He's assertive and he wants to help. But however, sometimes his assertiveness isn't helpful. It's just disobedient. For example, we tell Max all the time, do not hit your brother and sister. And without fail, whenever he sees his brother, it's just a little 
right? Like right when he walks by or just a little, like little subtle little shove as he walks by. And why does he do it? Because we're all born with the bent to not please the Lord. One of the most common ways of that is pride. Max apparently has an attitude of, I don't care what you say, or I know better, or you know what, Jude has a stupid face and he has it coming, right? Like, pride will always do one thing, though. Listen, it'll always do one thing. It'll always betray you. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. How has is, how is pride betrayed Max here? Well, it's, it's betrayed him in this way. I'm giving him the instruction and the guidance to not hit his brother for his own joy. Because guess what? Jude's a big boy now, all right? He's getting bigger. And Max is still a peanut. And so now, if, if Max will push him, Jude doesn't take it anymore. And Jude will spear him, right? It's excellent. It's wonderful, right? He'll take that big old baby head and just throw it at him. And it's awesome to see. Our pride will always betray us. It makes us deaf to our Father's guidance. It breaks our backs as we struggle under the pressure of providing instead of trusting our dad's provision. It robs us of our unchangeable eternal value in our dad and puts our self-worth on a foundation that continually changes and continually falls away under the ever-changing opinions of fickle people. The solution Jesus gives us here for our pride is a childish humility. So let's do what this kid did in Matthew 18. Jesus said, come to me. And what did the kid do? He went. James 4, 8, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us and that um, you've picked um, a very intimate way of, of showing it to us, revealing it to us. You could have said, I am God, I am king, you are subject to your servants. Instead, Lord, you said, I am father, and you are my kids. And so, Lord, we thank you for that love and for that grace. Lord, we repent um, of the times we haven't been childish in our humility. We repent of the times where, Lord, we have tried to stand on our own. We've tried to push away from you where our pride has come in, and Lord, where our pride has betrayed us. And so, Lord, for the believers in this room, our prayer is that you would reveal those areas of our lives where maybe we need to be more childlike. We need to be more childish. Lord, my other prayer is for those in this room who aren't followers of you, who, Lord, to enter the kingdom of heaven, they need to become like children today. They need to trust you today, give you their lives today. My prayer, Lord, is that they would have the boldness and the courage to do that. To tell you today that that they're sorry. They want your forgiveness. They want a new life. They want to be yours forever. Lord, give them the courage to surrender their lives to you today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We ask that in our time of response that you would be lifted up. That you would have your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.